Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 16 this morning, Acts chapter 16. And, and while you're doing that, I'll just uh, remind everybody that today, this evening at 6 o'clock in our Family Life Center down in our youth room, we'll be having our VBS volunteer meeting. Uh, and so we want to invite anyone that would be interested in, in being a part and helping uh, influence and change the lives of some young kids between the ages of 3 and 12 years old this year. We want to invite you to come and be a part of that. It's going to be an incredible experience. If you've ever been here during VBS season before, you know we deck this place out practically from steeple to floor uh, with all things fun. And uh, the kids come for a whole week, Monday through Friday, and and, uh, we spend some time in the evenings on those days just teaching them about Jesus and encouraging them and building relationships between them and our teachers here at the church. And uh, we, be- we are believing God for some incredible things this year at our Vacation Bible School. So we want to invite you to come and be a part of that. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll have a meeting where we'll go over a bunch of details and, and let you know what's going to be happening. So that is that. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been somewhere that really impressed you as a child. Whenever I was about 10 years old, my family, my parents, they they took myself and uh, my siblings to a place called Hurricane Harbor. It's a water park in Arlington, Texas. And uh, as a 10-year-old, I remember us pulling up into the parking lot of this water park and getting out of the car and, and entering in through the gate, you know, paying for our passes, because that's before you could do it online. And so you get at the gate and you buy your passes and you walk inside the gate. And as soon as I got in the gate, I remember as a 10-year-old, my mind just exploded. I was so, I felt so small looking up at these giant slides, these huge water slides and, and all the fun stuff there. And, and I remember thinking as a 10-year-old, like, my goodness, I have reached the pinnacle of life. This is as high as life can get. Everything else will just pale in comparison to this moment right here. And I remember my my family and I were were going through the water park and we're sliding on the slides. We're having a great time. It's, It's a lot of fun. And then my two older brothers, they said, all right, let's go ride on the black hole. I was like, well, which, which one's the black hole? And they said, it's that one. And there is this, I don't know if you've ever seen it, if you've ever driven on I-30 past Dallas and on through Arlington. Uh, if, if you have, then you cannot miss it. It's right off the side of the interstate right there. It is this massive, just huge spaceship-looking structure that has these tubes coming out of it. And they're completely enclosed, so whenever you get on your, your inner tube and you slide down the slide, it's a, a tube that's completely enclosed. It's completely blacked out. It's called the black hole. And you, you go down this tube, and you don't know which turn it's going to make. You don't know how sharp the turns are going to be. And you, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and I remember it's 80 feet tall. It's, I looked it up. It's 80 feet tall. It's a huge slide. And I remember my brother's like, we're going to go ride the black hole. And I remember thinking as a 10-year-old, I was real shy, real timid. I was a scaredy cat. I remember thinking, you know what? I am not going to die in this water park today. I am going to choose to do something else besides ride the black hole. I can't do it. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't know any statistics, but I would imagine that at least 98% of 10-year-olds die on this ride. It's, it's scary. It's huge. 
I was terrified. But was like, yes, we're going to go do it. And I'm like, you're going to go do it. I'm not going to go do it. My parents, they're, they're, you know, Sam, it'll be fun. You'll like it. It's, it's going to be exciting. It's like the, the biggest, best ride here. And I'm thinking, for you, it's not for me. It is not the, I mean, it's the biggest, but it is not the best slide here for me. Fast forward several years later, and I'm dating Emily at this time. And she, and uh, who would become my sister-in-law, her sister and, and uh, Emily's brother-in-law, Donnie, we, uh, went back to Hurricane Harbor, and now I'm an, I'm an older teenager, and, and I remember pulling into the parking lot, and, you know, I still have that same type of anticipation and excitement, you know, I'm, I'm excited to go back, and, and this time I'm going to face the black hole, you know, I'm like 17 years old, and I'm like, yes, I'm going to do it, you know, and we pull up in the parking lot, and we go through the gate, and I remember looking at it and thinking like, wow, they must have made that thing smaller, has that ever happened to anybody? Like you, you go somewhere as a kid and you're impressed and then you go back later on and you're like, wow, really? That's it? And I remember thinking, you know, they, they, there must have been too many 10-year-olds that perished on this tube of doom. And so they just had to like, you know, cut it down half size or something. I don't remember. I was thinking in my mind, like, this is a lot smaller than it used to be. There's no way I was scared of that. So we get on it. We ride down and we're having fun. And, and I, I thought, man. I really did miss out as a kid. If I would have just gone on it, if I would have changed my perception a little bit and, and instead of looking at it as this, this death tunnel, I could have looked at it as this thrill ride, something to, to get my adrenaline running and to have a good time. But I missed out. I missed out. Well, today I want to talk about the goodness of God. And here's the thing. A lot of us, we have this perception that God is good but maybe not all the time. If you were here several weeks back, we, we talked the first part of this message, that God is good and only does, help me out, God is good and only does, he only does good. He only does good. But we've got this mentality somewhere along the way. We adopted it from somewhere that, that maybe God is, is good, but I don't know. We're just going to have to feel him out as we go along. Well, today, I want us to change our perception of how we view God. And this is what I mean by that. I want to show you a picture this morning of uh, two different people here looking at the same thing and seeing two different things. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture before. The guy on the left is saying it's four, and the guy on the right is saying, no, it's three. But they're looking at the same thing, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an optical illusion. It's, it's made to kind of trick your mind. And, and, but here's the point of that. It, it, it's the same thing that they're looking at, but they're looking at it from two different sides. And depending on which side you're looking at it from, you're going to see two different things. And so today I want to challenge you to do this. Over the next lifetime of yours, as we continue on with our lives, I want you to choose to see God from the perspective that he is good and only good. Some say he's only good. He's only good. Acts chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 6. It says, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them. Someone say prevented. From preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. 
But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So he didn't allow them. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us. Someone say, he's calling us. To preach the good news there. We're going to skip down to verse 16. It says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to these city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. Someone say severely. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. If you're taking notes, write this down. Point number one, God is better than you think. He is better than you think. I preached on the same portion of scripture about a year and a half ago, and I, I've been fascinated with this little portion of the Bible right here, and this story in particular is so fascinating to me. And I look at Paul and Silas, and, and they really are goals for the Christian believer. They're, they are goals for the believer in Christ. I mean, we should look up to Paul and Silas and try to pattern our lives after the way that they served and loved God because they were truly incredible people. Because if I were Paul and Silas, and I was planning to go to, the Bible says, Asia, which in, that, in today is modern Turkey. If I were Paul and Silas and I wanted to go to Turkey to preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit said, no. I'd be like, wait a second, why? I, I want to preach the gospel, Jesus. I, I'm planning to go to Turkey and, and preach the gospel. And the Holy Spirit said, no. No reason, no explanation, just no. So they said, well, okay, we, he doesn't want us to go there, so let, let's go somewhere else. So they, they keep traveling on. They're going to go to Bithynia. And on the way, the Holy Spirit says, no. Can you imagine Paul and Silas like, God, do you even really want me to do this? I think so many of us, we have that same perception of God sometimes whenever he says no. We're expecting a yes, and we're, we're, we're wanting to serve him. We're truly, our hearts are truly uh, are in it to, to serve God. But sometimes he'll say no, and we're like, God, I wasn't expecting that. Do you really want me to do this? Do you, God, do you really want me to stay with this job? Because my coworkers are hard to deal with, <laughs> and my boss can be a little bit of a jerk sometimes, and, and God, I, I'm being blamed for stuff that I didn't do. God, do you even want me to stay? Do you even want me to do this? And, and I, I could do this over here, and God's like, no. So you want me to stay here, Jesus? And we have this 
perception that, that God is maybe up to something, but we don't know what it is, and we can't get our minds around it. And I can imagine Paul and Silas, they're feeling frustrated. God, what do you want us to do? And so on the way, they stop in Troas, and as they're there, Paul has a dream, and, and they, he tells this dream to his, his partners in the ministry, and they all conclude, the Bible says, that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. So they went. They're obedient. I can imagine a little bit frustrated, but obedient. And soon after they got there, maybe a day after they got there, they are falsely accused of crimes that they didn't really commit. They're, they're very vague crimes. The, the, the mob said, you know, they're, they're making trouble. That's, that was their, their accusation. These Jews are making trouble. And because of that accusation, they are taken, they're they are stripped of their clothing, they are beaten severely with wooden rods, and thrown into maximum security prison. Can you imagine being Paul and Silas like, well, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Glad you called us to Macedonia. This is great. <laughs> I love it here. The people are friendly. <laughs> you know, five stars on Yelp. You know, woohoo. Macedonia is great. You should visit. I could imagine I would be frustrated and I would have questions God, what are you doing? I mean, just looking at it, it would seem as though God's plan was for them to go to Macedonia to get beaten and thrown into prison. And I think a lot of times we look at our lives and the, the circumstances that happen, the bad things that happen in our lives, and we assume that it just must be in God's plan. But if you were here last time we spoke, remember, God is good and only does, come on, he only does good. I want you to notice the Bible doesn't say that God formed against them. It says, I love this, Luke, he took time out of his day to write this. He says, a mob formed against them. Not God, a mob. And it says, the city officials ordered them beaten and thrown into prison. Notice, it wasn't God who instructed any of this. We have to understand as people that we live in a messed up world. And the Bible tells us that we will go through trials, tribulations, and persecution. But I want us to look at this from a different perspective because a lot of times we look at it as, God, you, you made this happen to me. But listen, church, if we would just adopt the perspective that, God, you are good, even in the midst of our situation, you are still good, I promise you, church, our hearts will be at so much more peace. Our hearts will be so, so much more peace. God is better than you think. God is better than you think. Last time I, I preached, we talked about how Jesus never gave anyone a burden or disease. If you read in the Gospels, Jesus never made anyone sick. He only went about healing and doing good is what the Word of God tells us. We know the story of Jesus. It's called the Gospel, which means the, the good news. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, his own words. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Have life abundantly. And then we read again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says that Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. So if the works of the devil are to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus came to destroy the destroying works of the destroyer, then we can assume that God is good. Someone say he's good. I want you to say this with me, just, just so we're clear on this. God does not do bad things. That's easy. That's simple. God does not do bad things. He does not do bad things. I think a lot of times we look at the bad things in our life and we say, well, this just must be God's plan for my life. 
Well, if that was God's plan for your life, then as a mature Christian, you should be praying that you would experience more bad things. I mean, right? That makes logical sense. If, if God orchestrates the bad things, we should be praying for more bad things, right? But we don't do that, which means we truly don't believe it. We're just trying to make excuses for the bad things that happen in our life. Well, instead of making excuses for the bad things that happen in our life, we should be saying, God, you know what? Even though this is bad, I know that you are good. And I may not know why all of the bad things have to happen, but I do know that while they're happening, you are still good. Someone say he's good. He's better than you think. He's better than you think. You may say, well, why does it matter? Why, does, why do I have to know that God is good? Here's why. It's because how you pray depends entirely on how you perceive God. How you pray depends entirely on how you perceive God. Here's point number two. How you perceive God matters. It matters how you perceive God. Matthew chapter 7 Verse 11, it says this, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I love this. This is Jesus preaching here, and he's, he says this. He says, hey, evil people can do good things. If you just leave that verse up there for just a moment, please. He's saying this. Evil people can do good things. Evil people are capable of doing good things. And he's using, Jesus is using a, a compare and contrast here. He's saying this, so if even evil people can do good things, how much more good will a good heavenly father do? This is what he's saying is this right here. God does not do bad things. If anything is evil is happening, it's because of there's evil in the world. And I love that he says this, even evil people are capable of doing good things. But, he, but listen, this is the contrast right here. But God is not capable of doing bad things. Ooh, wow. But did you notice that in this, Jesus isn't even talking about gifts in this verse. We look at it and say, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you know this verse isn't even about good gifts? It's about prayer. Jesus is teaching about prayer right here. And he's saying this, if you look at God as being evil or capable of doing evil things, then you will not pray to him as you should. We should not look at God as being capable of evil things. Our God is only good, uh, is only capable of doing good things. So we should pray to him as if he were a good father. But the problem is a lot of time we'll view God as being distant. And if your view of God is that he is distant and far away from you, then you will probably never experience an intimate relationship with him. Our problem is a lot of times we perceive God as being uncaring or apathetic. And if we see God as being uncaring or apathetic, then we will probably only pray when we're in trouble or in desperate need and have nowhere else to turn to. And we will miss out on all of the wonderful blessings that God desires to give us. A lot of times we perceive God as being angry with us. And if your perception is, 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 is that God is angry at you, then you will probably rarely go to him at all because you will feel unworthy to, to come into his presence and to pray at all. See, how you perceive God matters because your prayers, the way you pray, depends entirely on how you perceive God. You see where this is going? 
If you view God, if your perception of God is that he is some religious prude, then you will probably only ever pray out of religious duty so that you will be accepted by God. How you perceive him matters, church. But what if we perceive God as being good and only good? You know what? I guarantee you if that becomes your perception of God, you're going to desire to be in prayer. You're going to desire to have intimate fellowship and relationship with Jesus because you know that he is good and that he loves you. Come on, he is good. So let's get back to our story about Paul and Silas. They're in maximum security prison. Starting in verse 25, Acts 16, verse 25. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Let's back up just a little bit. They want to go to Turkey. The Holy Spirit says no. They want to go to Bithynia. The Holy Spirit says no. They conclude that God is calling them to uh, Macedonia. And whenever they get there, they are accused with some really vague accusations beaten severely. They're not just like whipped, like you're not just, you know, whooping your child that, that was disobedient. They were beaten severely. The Bible tells us later on that the jailer washed and cared for their wounds. They had wounds, whelps, bruises, cuts, sores. They were beaten severely and thrown in maximum security prison. And what do they do whenever they get there? They pray and they sing and they worship. I believe it's because, as Paul says in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 28, he says this, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. See, how you perceive God matters. They're in prison and they could have had a rotten attitude about it, but instead... They choose to look at it as this, you know, hey, even if we're here, God can make this work. God can make even this work. But I love this. This is how good God is. You ready for this? This is how good he is. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it tells us that God works these things out together for the good of himself. Oh, wow. That just changed someone's theology here this morning. <laughs> God works all things out together for the good of those who love him. Listen, he will take your worst situations and work them out for your own good. It'll be good for you. And come on, that's good. We've got to change our perception. Whenever we go through terrible things, we don't need to look at it as, oh, God is punishing me. No, we got to look at it as, hey, I live in a broken, messed up world, but God can take this broken mess and turn it out for something to help me, to be good for me, to be better for me. Man. It's because of that, Paul and Silas, they're able to sing, they're able to pray, even in the prison. Because if even everything goes wrong, God is still good. So let's pick back up. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. I like the song. 
I was just saying that the walls of the prison will shake. The, the, what is it? The chain-breaking king rise to save. It's just taken from this portion of scripture right here. I love this. It says, uh, the doors immediately flew out open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out of the prison and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his house. Church, we've got to change our perception because how we perceive God matters. In 1949, there's a man named Daniel Webster. You're probably familiar with some of the accomplishments that he made, if you've done any early American history, uh, not even early American history, if you've done any American history, you, you might have heard of Daniel Webster. Well, in 1949, he was asked for the second time to become or to uh, put his name in as the vice president on uh, Zachary Taylor's presidentship. They, they were, Zachary Taylor was campaigning for president, and he was invited to be the vice presidential nominee along with Zachary Taylor. And uh, the previous, I'm sorry, Zachary Taylor was the, the first president. The second president was um, William Henry, what's his name? William, I'm sorry. William Henry Harrison, thank you. Someone, I heard someone say it. William Henry Harrison the second president. They asked him that time if he would become the, the vice presidential nominee along with William Henry Harrison. And both times, he turned down the offer. This is a, a quote from Daniel Webster. He said this, I do not propose to be buried until I am really dead and in my coffin. When offered the vice presidency of the United States of America, he said this, I propose not to be buried until I'm dead and in my coffin. See, back at this time, the vice presidency was considered a useless office. It was one of those things where you just become vice president, and in the event that the president dies, then you'll become president, and that's just about all you do. And at this time, the vice presidency was considered political suicide. Like, if you became the vice president, then you're going to get blamed for, for your predecessor, not even your predecessor, but you'll be blamed for everything that the president that you served with did. Even if it wasn't your own thoughts or ideas or opinions. And, and so Daniel Webster, he turned him down twice. He said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the vice president. I propose not to be buried until I'm dead and in my coffin. Ironically, Zachary Taylor died while in office. Daniel Webster would have become the next president of the United States. Ironically, William Henry Harris, the next president, he also died in office. And Daniel Webster would have become the president of the United States. Before this, Daniel Webster campaigned himself to be president three different times and never received the nomination. Your perception matters. In this time, no one wanted to be vice president because their perception was that it's a useless office. 
But if Daniel Webster would have just changed his perception a little bit, at least once, he would have become what he always hoped and dreamed to be, which was the president of the United States of America. See, church, your perception of God matters. Your perception of God matters. If you view God as being anything but good, you will probably miss out on all of the good things that he has to offer. So if we're going to perceive him as being good, we're going to have to clearly see him as he is. Here's point number three. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's time to remove the veil. It's time to remove the veil. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, but when someone turns to the Lord, in other words, whenever you change your perception of God, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord, this is such a good verse, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Paul and Silas knew this. They knew that if they had a different perception of God, then even in the midst of a chaotic situation, they would still find freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, well, I need you to help me. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is. God could have chosen to use any other adjective, any other thing right here. He could have said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is love. Or where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is mercy or grace. I love that he chose to say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. That's so good. I want to show you just how much freedom there is whenever we remove the veil. Watch this in uh, Acts chapter 16. We're going to read verse 25 through 28 again. It says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew out his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! I think a lot of times we read the Bible too quickly, and we miss a lot of the really good things that happen. I want you to, have you ever noticed Paul and Silas were in a maximum security prison? They were praying and singing, and the Bible tells us that the other prisoners, plural, are listening. Get this mental picture. Paul and Silas are in a maximum security prison. They're praying and singing. There are other prisoners around. They're listening to Paul and Silas praying and singing. The Bible tells us suddenly there's this massive earthquake. All the, what does it say right there? It says, uh, all the doors, someone say all of them, all of them flew open. And it says the chains of every prisoner fell off. How many prisoners did it fall off of? All of them, every one of them. And so the jailer wakes up and he assumes that all of the prisoners had escaped. And this is the guy, he had one job. The city officials say, you've got one job here. Make sure these men do not escape. That is the only thing you've got to do. 
You don't got to wash their wounds. You don't got to feed them. You don't got to do nothing for them. You just make sure they do not escape. And so he wakes up. He falls asleep. He's a terrible jailer. I would not hire him for anything. Falls asleep on the job. He wakes up and he looks around and sees all of the doors are wide open. And he assumes that every prisoner has escaped. So he draws out his sword. He is going to commit suicide. Listen, the Bible, if anyone says the Bible is boring, they have never read the Bible. This is such a good book, y'all. Such a good book. He draws out, just imagine the, 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 the passion of the moment and the, 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 the fearfulness in the jailer's mind. Just imagine being there. He draws out his sword. He's lifting it up. He's about to kill himself. And Paul says, wait, stop. Don't kill yourselves. Some of us stayed. We're still here. Right? No, 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 no. Listen, we got to read a little bit more carefully. Wait, stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. Where are they? What city? Help me out. Let's, let's just do a little bit of Bible, Bible stuff here. Where did they go? Macedonia. Macedonia is an unreached people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ at this moment. No one had been to Macedonia on a mission trip as far as the Bible records it. They go to a Gentile land. They're preaching to people. You remember their accusations? They said these Jews have coming and they're causing trouble everywhere. They're teaching practices that us Romans can't participate in. They're in a Gentile land full of pagans. No one believes in God there. And Paul and Silas are in the prison with all of these criminals that have probably done some pretty vile, evil things. And the Bible tells us that whenever the Spirit of the Lord came that day, the, the walls shook, the doors opened, the chains just fell off, and all of them stayed. Why? If I'm Paul or Silas or anybody in that prison and I see the wonderful works of God to open the doors and free my chains, the first thing I'm going to say is, see you. I'm not going to wait for nobody. I'm not there to see if you make it with me. I'm gone. Sorry, I'm probably selfish. Bye. <laughs> I'm out of here. The Lord opens the doors, and when the Lord opens the doors, I'm going to walk through in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Why didn't they leave, church? They had a perfect opportunity. The, the jailer had even assumed, okay, this could have been easy for anyone. A three-year-old could have walked out of this prison. I was asleep, and everything happened. Oh, I don't know. what It is it's, it's terrible. No one left. Paul said, we are all here. Here's why I believe no one left. <laughs> Come on, church, this is good. Because if your perception is that God is good, and if you are truly looking to God in every situation and circumstance in your life, then you will experience more freedom in a prison with the presence of Jesus than you could ever experience anywhere else in all the world. Come on, church. God is good. 
And even though your situation may be awful, God is good. And in the midst of your situation, there is freedom in the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. God is good. He only does good. Mm. Whoo. Paul shouts this out to the jailer. You know what happens in that moment. The jailer turns from suicidal fear to genuine joy in a moment. That's how good God is, church. You might say, man, I've gone too far, and I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I know that God is, I hear you. God is good. Listen, no. It doesn't matter how far you've been or how far you, you were planning to go. You can turn from a suicidal fear to genuine joy in a moment in the presence of Jesus. He is that good. Psalm 118 verse 5 says this, In my distress I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Bring it on. Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. Y'all, this is good. This is good. He said this, I looked to the Lord, and he set me free. Then he goes on to say this, and he helped me. Listen, God doesn't need to help you unless you're in a situation where you are helpless. (laughs) But even in the middle of a helpless situation, God can set you free. And listen, you may still find yourself in that situation, but even in that helpless situation, you can experience true, genuine joy and freedom in the Holy Spirit. We just have to change our perception about God. Look at someone you're sitting beside and say, he is that good. He is that good. Mm. Jesus tells us in the word that we will experience trials and tribulations. We will experience sorrow and persecution. But even in the midst of all of that, we can experience true joy and freedom in the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you to do something this summer. This is something that I've, I've strived to do in my own life. I've had to do it several times here lately for sure, but <laughs> this is what I want to challenge you to do. When you feel like you are in a difficult situation and you feel overwhelmed, and normally in that moment maybe you would, you would pick up your phone and, and call someone you love or someone that you trust and, and you would... You would vent your frustrations or your your heartache out to them. Can I encourage you to do this this summer? Just make it your goal this summer. Hopefully it will become a habit in your life. But in that moment where you feel like you are on the the edge of tipping over the the heel of anxiety or depression or, or loneliness or despair, when you're at that moment, just stop and right there where you're at, Just begin to pray and worship. Just pray and worship. Just like Paul and Silas in the prison, they might not have known what was going to happen. They were in maximum security prison for for a reason. The the officials weren't going to want to let them go. I mean, the jailer was charged, do not let these men go. 
Who knows what the plan was for them in the next couple of days, but Paul and Silas, they weren't worried with any of that. Their perception, their focus was on God, and because of that, they were able to pray, and they were able to worship in that moment. And here's the beautiful thing about this. Whenever we put our eyes on Jesus, whenever we, as he says in in Psalms chapter 18, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord. Listen, he is going to answer you, and he's going to set you free. That's a word from God. That is a promise from him. I didn't say it. He said it. So if he doesn't hold up to it, then get on to him. But that's his promise, and he will hold up to it because he is faithful, and he is, come on, help me out. He is, he is good. So this summer, whenever you feel like you're in that moment, just stop and worship. Pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray for every individual in here today that feels like they are in a hopeless, dark, depressing situation. God, I pray that your hand would be on them. And Lord, that even in the prison that they feel that they have found themselves in, God, I pray that you would speak to them, that they would feel your presence. God, that an overwhelming joy would take place of any suicidal fear that they may have thought. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just, would just envelop each and every single one of us, God, that we would choose to live in the goodness of God instead of assuming the worst that you, would, that you could ever do. Lord, I pray that we, our perception of you would change, that we would understand that you are good and that your plans for us are good. God, we love you so much. We thank you. God, we thank you that you are good. You don't have to be, but you are You don't have to love us, but you do. We are so grateful. We are so grateful to be called the children of God. We thank you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Someone say, this is good. God is good. So this week, remember, stop, pray, and worship, and watch that fear turn into joy. Amen. I love you so much, church. Pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, again, if you are interested in being part of our VBS program, we want to invite you to our meeting tonight at 6 o'clock down in the Family Life Center. Love you so much. Have a wonderful afternoon.